It is my joy to be with you today. My name is Dave. I am part of the team here. I'm the Associate Pastor of Youth and Young Adults, and it is a true joy to be here on this Thanksgiving weekend. So we've already prayed about Thanksgiving. We've sang uh, with joy uh, for in Thanksgiving, and I want to uh, assure you that we're going to actually land in Thanksgiving at the end of our time today in God's Word. So that's, that's an assurance. Now, you may be thinking, all right, here's a guy opening the Bible, talking about Jesus. And for some of you, that's really normal. And you're a bit weird, but I love you. That's normal. That's normal for Christians to open up the Bible and hear about Jesus. Now, for some of us, this may seem a little strange. What's the big deal about Jesus? Some of you may not yet identify yourself as a Christian. You may be curious, or you maybe you just, you just grew up in a Christian family, and you're kind of trying to take all of this in and figure out Jesus for yourself. Today, I want to assure you that this message is definitely for you. Keep your eyes on Jesus and see what happens. Now, maybe you call yourself a Christian, you, you identify as a Christian, you're like, I'm a follower of Jesus, maybe for many years, or, or maybe just for a short time. And like many disciples, followers of Jesus, there are times when your motivation, your, your faith seems worn down, defeated, hiding, maybe not too strong. And me as a, as a youth pastor, I've seen and encountered many young people who feel really defeated in their faith when they, they stumble, maybe because of addictions or dependence on substances or even pornography. And that can be so deflating. But I've seen so many amazing, miraculous works in people's lives. As, as they turn to Jesus, see Him and listen, as they trust in Him and, and do all the things that God is calling them to, either through programs and support and prayer. This message is for you too. Or maybe you're in a place of growing. You want to grow and learn and look more into this new season coming and saying, I really want to have a new life-giving season of faith. Now, don't you love, don't you love it when you have that amazing life-giving encounter with Jesus? But often, but often, that feeling can fade a little bit. How do we get back to that strong place of faith, not just that mountaintop kind of camp experience? I want to try assure you that today's message is for you as well. So, as we look to Jesus in our incredible passage, now I, I'm not just buttering this passage up. It's one of those good ones. It's one of those powerful passages. I want us to pay attention to Jesus, what he does, what he says. Let's look to Jesus at what he's doing, and then we can start to see who he is and what he says about himself. So I encourage you to find in your Bibles, Bible apps, Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to start at verse 22. And when you found it, or when you're comfortable, you can stand with us, and we are going to read God's word together. So when you find it, please stand with me. Matthew 14, starting at verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. 
Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, save me, Lord. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. This is God's word. You may be seated. Now, we're going to be looking at this passage, this amazing passage, with two simple questions in mind. What do we see Jesus doing or saying? And what might this mean for his disciples, both then and now? So what do we observe, and how does this guide us? Now, this passage basically has is a, a whole story in two halves. The first part's kind of on land, and the second part is in the water or on the water, I guess. Right, so two parts. Okay, what do you see Jesus doing in our first part of the story on land? Well, let's, let's take a look at what Jesus is doing. Notice the immediately. It's kind of right in your face. It's, it kind of jumps right out. Immediately, right away, Jesus goes into action. Now, if we understand the context a bit, what has Jesus just done? Well, last week we heard that Jesus just fed 5,000 plus people. And all of them experience this incredible miracle of multiplication. And it seems that there were those in the crowd that saw this multiplication, this amazing thing, as a sign of a political king or messiah. Someone they were thinking to rescue them from the nations, particularly from Rome at this time. They wanted to make Jesus that kind of leader. What do we notice Jesus doing? He would have none of it. None of it. He very intentionally sends his disciples away, and he says, nope, not going to have any part of that, and then he proceeds to dismiss or release the crowds. And I love that he does this personally. He's doing it, and he does it with authority. We know he does it with authority because they leave, right? So how can this guide us? I'm not going to say too much more on this little thing. But do you notice that Jesus will not be controlled or manipulated by politics? He will not. Should we, as his followers? And just thinking this is a municipal election sort of going on all around us. But Jesus would not be controlled or manipulated by politics. Yes, the Bible clearly talks about honoring authorities. Absolutely. But let's look to Jesus and seek first the kingdom of God. I just wanted to mention that. It's a little wink, I think, in the story. Now, verse 23, we read, After Jesus had dismissed them, he went on a mountainside to himself to pray. Now, are you noticing that he's doing a whole bunch of work here, and it actually took quite a while for him to actually get up the mountainside to pray? People take time. 
And Jesus takes the time to be with the people. But I also want you to notice that his goal, where he was heading, was to be alone with his heavenly Father. As you hear this story, can you imagine in your mind, looking to Jesus, do you see him praying, alone, without his disciples, without the crowds, praying? We see that Jesus, even Jesus, who just blessed bread and fish and fed thousands of people, even Jesus shows his full humanity and humility and kneels before his heavenly Father in prayer. So beautiful. He's listening and speaking to our God and Father. So Jesus, who as we will see in just a moment, is the very Son of God. Even Jesus takes time alone in prayer. How about for us? Friends, what does your alone time with God look like? Maybe if you're young or a little bit inexperienced in the Christian faith, maybe this is not yet a priority for you. But I can assure you, if you've been a Christian for a while, you have definitely heard pastors saying this, and you and I should know by now that you and I need that alone time with God in His Word and in prayer and in worship. And for the Christian, prayer is a non-negotiable in the Christian life. I'll just talk about myself. I know that I will never mature as a believer in Jesus unless I spend time with him, even daily time alone and totally available to what he wants to do in my life. So what might this look like for you if you do it? Maybe you do it already and you can share that. But honestly, if you don't hear anything else that I say, and I'll say some good things, I hope, even if you hear nothing else that I say, Hear this, spend that alone time with God. Hear his voice in his word. Look to Jesus. See who he is and respond in your life. And I can encourage you that if if you want help with this, if you, you need help with this, there are people who would love, love, love to guide you. Whether it's Pastor Wes, even myself, Courtney, your home group leader, others in your home group, youth group leaders, would love, love to help you find that alone time and make that alone time with Jesus. So finally, in this land part of the story, we see Jesus alone, right? Up on a mountain, praying, beautiful. But we also see this in verse 24. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted or crushing waves crashing about them because the wind was against it. Now, as we look carefully, what do we understand about Jesus? Now, we have to kind of pause for a moment. Jesus is up on a mountain, and his disciples are not up on the mountain, are they? Jesus directs those who know him, following his disciples, very intentionally. And as we'll see in a moment, he directs them right into a situation where they're quite stuck, confused, and exhausted. He sends them out into what becomes quite a storm. Friends, we don't always know, and often we don't, know the situations that Jesus will lead us. And sometimes these are really challenging and uncomfortable situations. But I want to encourage you, he knows what he's doing. Check this out. Jesus doesn't go to them right away, does he? 
stays up on that mountain for a while. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. You pray for something, maybe over and over again, and it doesn't seem to come. Now, my story is not a unique story, but you'll hear it and you go like, oh yeah, I get it. I prayed for a home in Vancouver to rent for a long, long time. Pray especially for somewhere that is appropriate for foster care, which I do. And I know Jesus called me to foster care. So I'm like, where is this place that I can do the foster care that God wants me to do? So I prayed for months and months and months, right? And it never seemed to come. And here's the, the hard part. All my friends seem to be getting these really cool places for like way less money than they should, right? I'm like, how are they getting? I'm, and I'm getting a bit jealous here, right? It's like, Jesus, what are you doing? But then, just over a year ago, by the most amazing circumstances, and I think I've told you this story before, I find this incredible place. And to the surprise of both myself and my landlord, she's actually Courtney's aunt. What? <laughs> Jesus knows what he's doing, and he doesn't always come to our rescue right away, does he? Now for the second part of the story, the story on the water. Now, I hope you find this a little more shocking. It's beautiful, Jesus in prayer and sending out his disciples, right? We're called to really carefully look at Jesus, what he does and says in the midst of this amazing thing. And the gospel writer Matthew means for us not just to be like, oh, that's interesting, to be astonished, to be amazed at what we see and hear. Jesus walks on the water. Peter follows Jesus into the water and walks on the water. And Jesus is proclaimed to be the Son of God. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty astonishing. Let's start from verse 23. Later that night, he, Jesus, was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. What? Jesus went out walking to them, uh, went out to them walking on the lake. Now, can't you picture Jesus? He's, he's up on the hill, right? He's praying. Probably his eyes are closed. I'm imagining Jesus' eyes closed. Every once in a while, they kind of peeks out. And what does he see? Here's the boat with his disciples being tossed around in the waves. He sees and he understands they're struggling. And he has come before the Father in thanksgiving for feeding the 5,000 for the kingdom mission, not this sort of political mission, this kingdom mission of Jesus that kind of both exceeds the politics of the day. And he's in continued prayer for the gospel mission of salvation that we get to experience. He's praying for the cross, for going to Jerusalem, going to the cross to take our sin upon him. He's praying for this, this mission. And I think he's praying that he might be more fully revealed to his disciples. And Jesus goes to them. Jesus walks on water. Now, it's kind of just a statement, isn't it? Jesus walks out to them. There's no showiness. There's no ceremony. We don't even really get a setup here. It's not like, and something amazing is about Jesus walks on water. That's all we read. His disciples are in trouble and being beaten down by the weather. And the boating in these days was grueling and torturing at this time in the middle of the lake. And Remember, Jesus has actually put them there. <laughs> He's like, so they're probably feeling something, right? 
They're in the middle of the lake, kilometers from shore, somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. That's not my happy time. Jesus comes to them walking on the water. Now, you might be shocked or even a little skeptical. Did this really happen? But the disciples are reacting in this kind of really, this way that actually says that probably a bit shocked and maybe even skeptical, skeptical that this is Jesus. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, right? It's a ghost, they said, they cri- and cried out in fear. They kind of, they didn't even say it very well. They croaked it out, they're like, you know, it's a ghost. But immediately, Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Perhaps, as we, we look to Jesus here, our response could be this amazement and even fear like the disciples. They think he's a ghost of some sort or maybe an evil spirit. No ordinary human being can do this. Walk on water? Or perhaps you've heard this story a few too many times. It maybe isn't amazing you quite at the moment. Now, here's the thing. Uh, our youth and young adults volunteered at Arasha this weekend, and it was fun. It was beautiful. We had some hard work, lots of prickle bushes that we we're trying to get rid of, invasive species and all that. And we could see the ponds and these beautiful kind of riverways. And uh, beavers were trying to dam up the rivers, and we're trying to take all the stuff out of the rivers. It was, it was a really cool project. Now, if you look into the ponds, what do you see? Well, these cool little frogs, some fish. And sometimes you'll see these little strider bugs. I don't know if you've ever seen these. They kind of sit on the top of the water and they kind of move, right? They're amazing. Like I could sit and watch these things for hours. They're absolutely amazing. And that's a bug, somehow not breaking the surface tension of the water. Here's a man walking on a stormy sea. This should amaze us far more than anything than we have yet seen. This is astonishing. They are scared, they're amazed, and what does Jesus do to reassure his fearful followers? Yes, he says, take courage or take heart. Yes, he says, don't be afraid, there's nothing to fear. But he also says something that you might miss if you read over it too quickly. We might read something like, don't worry, it's me, Jesus, right? You might hear that, but that's not exactly what he says. In the original language, what he does says, say is, I am. Take courage, I am. Do not be afraid, I am. Oh, that's an interesting thing to say. Because I am is the name that God reveals to us in the book of Exodus. That's his name. And every time you see the capital L-O-R-D, in the Old Testament. That is the name of God, Yahweh. Jesus says, I am. Jesus says, I am. Walking on the water, Jesus revealed to his disciples and to us now, Jesus is, I am. Jesus does hold the name and authority of God the God of all creation. He has authority and power over all creation of science and any imaginable law that holds the universe together. He is the I am over all of that. And he simply walks with confidence 
toward his friends. You may think this is kind of like a mythological story or an exaggerated story or even made up, but the text here clearly believes this to be true. Christians have always believed this story to be true and reliable, and the disciples' responses seem to be very genuine and fitting to what we see. So if Jesus did indeed come walking on the water to his disciples in command of this world and to his helpless disciples in the middle of a storm that he sent them into, what might this mean for us? Well, the story leads us to see that Jesus has the authority of God over this world, over everything in this world. No storm, no disaster, no situation is out of his power. And Jesus intentionally and personally steps into the middle of our troubles, our fears, and confusion. He comes to us because he has the power to do so, but also the heart and love to be present with us. So even in the difficulties and chaotic situations we face, like these disciples, When we look to Jesus, he often sends us to places and people that we can't quite see what he's doing, but he does come, and he does reveal himself to us. This reminds me a bit of uh, my first year in uh, pastoral ministry. I graduated from Regent College, and I was like, God, what do you want me to do? And God's like, I'm going to send you to North Carolina. And I was like, okay, right? That was not expected. (laughs) Here I am, some Canadian kid down in the South trying to say y'all, which is, I still say y'all, it's great. But my time was a bit of a disaster at first. It was so frustrating. Youth and families didn't really even seem to like me or my programming and style. And I felt so much rejection. I did not know what Jesus was doing. Here I am, far from home, in a place I didn't really know. Where did you send me? To what did you send me, Jesus? But God shook up that church. It was kind of sweet. It was a great story there. But God shook that church up, and new kids and families came. And so we went from like two solid kids who kind of liked me. Like that was my youth group. Two two kids were like, all right, you're okay, Dave. Went from these two kids to tons of kids and this absolutely amazing group full of faith and friendships. And and the cool thing is I'm still in contact with a lot of these guys many, many, many years down the road. And many of them have kids now, which is really cool. So even when we're as agitated as the sea around us or the situations around us, Jesus, the great I am, is our foundation and our confidence. Now as we move into the second last part of the story, and it's also pretty amazing. You see, Peter responds to Jesus. And yes, it is amazing what happens. And I want you to look at Peter and be quite amazed. But for now, let's focus on Jesus and what he does and says. Peter walks on the water. Take a look with me in the scripture, starting at verse 27 of chapter 14. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, or I am. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, 
Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried or croaked out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Now, at Peter's request, Jesus commands and instructs Peter to come to him, walking on the water the same way he does. Now, when Peter is in great trouble, fearing the strength and power of the wind and waves and is sinking, he cries out to Jesus to rescue him. Peter is in serious trouble. Can you observe with me that Jesus immediately takes action? He immediately reaches out. He immediately takes a hold of this fearful follower. And then after rescuing him, speaks to him. And I want us to notice, Jesus asks a question. He doesn't just make a statement like, Peter, you're foolish. No, he's not condemning him. Even in this extraordinary moment where there's a raging sea, Jesus cares so much for Peter, the disciples, and for us to lead us to the heart of the problem. We could see Peter as a total failure. Here he is, gets out of the boat, sinks, right? Yeah, he walked on water a little bit. We could see this as a total failure. No, Jesus tells us that this little faith, it's not no faith, it's this little faith. His little faith collapsed when doubt took over and consumed his heart and mind. When he lost sight and focus on the object of his faith, Jesus in the midst of this chaotic storm all around. So what can we learn of how Jesus interacts with Peter? Certainly, we see that Peter is both bold, and we want to be like that sometimes, perhaps a bit foolish at other times, and we know that we're kind of like that. But I'd love us to focus on who Jesus is here. Peter basically says this, since it's you, Jesus, command me. In many ways, it's kind of like a prayer, isn't it? The prayer of sending, Lord, I want you to send me somewhere. I want you to send me out into this world, into the, the challenges. Send me out on mission. Send me, Lord. It's like a prayer. And Jesus, he does command, doesn't he? He does call his disciples in what we might think are impossible paths, impossible odds. In my life, I've, as a youth pastor particularly, and I love to see, I kind of get to see it live a bit, but the testimony of someone coming to faith, you kind of see it happening. It's absolutely beautiful. And as a youth pastor, I've got to hear a lot of people's testimonies of how they come to faith. I want to say, I don't think I'm exaggerating here, but every single one of them is a call from Jesus into impossible paths with seemingly impossible odds. No matter if you grew up in a, a Christian family, you've heard about Jesus all your life, or like me, you got hit by the power of God at a moment in my 20s, every single story of coming to Jesus is an absolute miracle that we could think of, that's just impossible. Possible story, impossible path, impossible odds. And that is the beauty of it. Every single one of us has the same story as Peter. But even as a Christian, our doubts can overtake us in situations like these waves. 
But notice, Jesus immediately is with us. There's no hesitation, beautiful urgency. Jesus is with you as you cry out, or as the text kind of says, croaked out. Even if you don't have the words, you're like, God, Jesus. Jesus is with you. When you cry out, Lord, save me. He does grab a hold of us. He does steady us. He is with us. That's who Jesus is. And when we cry out to Jesus, he may not save us in the way we want. Now, when I used to volunteer with cancer agencies a number of years back with Ronald McDonald House and Canadian Cancer Society, I saw both rescue from the impossible, impossible sickness. You didn't think, how could this ever be healed? But I also saw the sad deaths of people I love. But here's the thing. I don't know if I can even put into words, it's this incredible experience of Jesus. Because Jesus was so powerfully present and holding us, no matter how hard the situation was. And particularly I saw this when I, when I saw Christian families cry out, Lord, save me, save my child. And I saw rescue and healing through both the conventional therapies and some unexplainable works of God, just like, how did that happen? And sometimes I saw devastation of a loved one who had passed away, who had died. But here's the, here's the point, and the thing I can't deny is the presence of Jesus so deep and so real and so rich in the midst of the most painful and chaotic storms of sickness. Now back to our passage. Yes, Jesus does correct Peter, but he does it as a question. He's kind of saying, why when you've come so far, when you've seen what is possible with me, did you let your doubt and overtake your faith as small as it is? Don't we, like Peter, lose heart and sink? Don't we get lost in the distractions and, and fears of our world, culture, whether it's at work or school or with family or illness or anxieties? We could probably make a longer list there too. But Jesus reminds us to focus our faith on him, on his faithfulness. And what he's basically saying here is stop questioning your faith and start questioning your doubt. Turn it on its head. Stop questioning this faith that you've seen good things and amazing things happen and actually question the doubt that you have. Turn it around. Stop questioning your faith, but question your doubt. Now, in this final part, leading from the rescue of Peter, and perhaps this is the last bit, could even be more stunning, especially if you were one of the first audiences, especially to a Jewish audience. This is rather scandalous. This is where we hear Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 32, it says, When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. That in itself is amazing. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, Matthew seems to be intentionally leaving out what other gospel writers record, that Jesus actually commanded the storm to peace and be still. But what we're left with is observing what happens 
as Peter and Jesus get into the boat. From walking on the water, the storm ceases. Jesus, in the midst of his followers, is now being worshipped as they would God the Father. And so what do we notice here? Maybe you're kind of just left looking at the scene, but pay attention. Jesus does something often when his disciples do wrong things. He corrects them, right? He's not correcting them. He does not redirect them. What we're left here is with a very clear action and statement about Jesus. Worship truly the Son of God. Worship, coming before Jesus in worship, proclaiming that truly he is the Son of God. Is this us? Do we worship Jesus as the very Son of God? Do we trust in the fullness of his salvation that he is perfectly able and capable and has done it on the cross? He has brought our salvation. He has removed the sin curse that we have on us. He's brought us to eternal life. So today, if you're searching, today, if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, today, if you're feeling low and maybe doubting a bit, you are invited to worship Jesus, the Son of God. Will you, like these first disciples, surrender yourself, your fears, your plans, your family, in fact, your very life, to look to Jesus, to listen to Jesus, pray like Jesus and pray to Jesus, to love the Father like Jesus, to love the Son like the Father, to be surrounded and empowered and indwelt by the person of the Holy Spirit. Oh, what an invitation we have today. So as we wrap it up, just to summarize just a little bit, this story, in fact, like any of the stories in the Gospels, in the New Testament, look to Jesus, listen to Jesus. Who does Jesus show you who he is and how can you respond? So today, I pray that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to give thanks to be thankful that you can pray like Jesus and you have the opportunity to spend time with your heavenly Father alone. I pray that you are thankful, that you are empowered to seek and listen to Jesus' commands. Yes, like Jesus, not to be overwhelmed by politics that are around you, like Jesus, help me from this, but put those in the right place. But more importantly, I think, to go where he sends you, even when it doesn't make immediately, immediate sense. We can be thankful for that. Be thankful that Jesus meets you in the midst of trouble as the Lord over all nature, all creation, over all things. He has you. Now be thankful that you look to Jesus' command to send you to both the simple things and even the impossible things with a faith that actually questions doubts. 
And even now, we can be thankful that Jesus is the great I am, the Lord. And surrender in worship and praise because he is the very Son of God who came to seek you and to save you because he does see you and he loves you. Amen.